If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Micah. Micah. For several Sunday mornings, we have been walking through that section of the Old Testament, the last section of the Old Testament, 12 small books known as the Minor Prophets. Some of the most ignored and neglected sections of Scripture throughout the history of the Bible. Part of the reason is, people think, because we call them minor prophets, that they are of minor importance. But that's far from the truth. They're called minor because they're shorter than the longer prophets that are called the major prophets. But just because they're minor does not mean that their message is of lesser importance. They are of great importance. These are minor prophets with major messages. I'm convinced, though, from studying these prophets that there's another reason why they're so neglected. We don't like them. We don't like what they say. They go against popular culture. They go against popular Christian culture. They go against our politics. They go against what we want to believe. And we don't like them. In fact, I was in a conversation recently with a person, and we were talking about a certain doctrinal issue, and uh, it, was in a, it was in a college class, and she said, well, I believe thus and so. And I said, I said, well, let's look at two passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. And one of them was a, a message in the prophets, and, I, and there were two passages that clearly taught the opposite of what she believed. And what she believed was a very popular belief on this particular subject. And I said, here you have two passages of Scripture. Uh, The plain meaning of them is that the opposite of what you believe is true. How do you feel about that? And she said, well, it doesn't matter to me what the Bible says there then. And she was one who came into class defending the Bible. You see... Even those of us who love the Bible, love all of it, don't like all of it. We don't like what it says. And we tend to be selective. We tend to be selective in what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. And when we're reading the minor prophets and they start talking about something we don't like, we just shut them off. It's the same thing you do with preachers. Micah. We've gone one sermon per book. Hosea told us that God's love is radical. Joel told us that God speaks through our circumstances. Amos told us that we are nobodies and we ought to care for nobodies. Obadiah told us that we get out of life, out of church, out of our relationships, what we put into church relationships marriage, and the like. Jonah told us that prejudice has no place among the people of God. Today we're going to look at the book of Micah. We're going to look at two different chapters in Micah, Micah chapter 1 and Micah chapter 6. If you'd like to put your fingers in between those places, Micah chapter 1 beginning with verse 1. The title of this message is The Fragile Relationship Between a People and Their God. The fragile relationship between a people and their God. Verse 1. 
the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth and all who are in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the house of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Now skip over to Micah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against His people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord, I feel that if I just stopped right there, your message is already penetrating. For Lord, this is a word not to the world. This is not a word to them. This is a word to us. You have something you want to say to us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look again at chapter 1, verse 5. 
Because this one verse tells us who this message is for. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, All this is because of Jacob's transgression. Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. And then he says this. He says, what is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Those of you who know Old Testament history, you know that at one point Israel, early on, was one united kingdom. And then... After the death of King Solomon, the third king, and the uh, rise to the throne of his son, Rehoboam, the, the kingdom split into two. There was the northern kingdom of Israel that was larger, and there was the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom of Israel established its capital in Samaria. And the southern kingdom of Judah established their capital in Jerusalem. Samaria, Jerusalem. Now, what did he say in in verse 5? What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? And what is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? What I want you to get first off is this is a message for God's people. He wasn't talking to the Assyrians. Now, there's plenty of stuff in the Old Testament that that addresses the Assyrians. Jonah, for instance, addresses the Assyrians. We're going to be later studying Nahum, and Nahum addresses the Assyrians. But so much of what the prophets had to say was not to them out there. It was to God's people in here. So much of the correction as well as the encouragement, so much of the judgment, as well as the mercy that was communicated by God didn't go out to them out there. It was to us in here. Micah lived during the 700s B.C. That means that he he was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah. But we hear more from Isaiah than we do Micah. But they were together. They were working together. It was a time of great peace and prosperity. The the economy was great. Things were going well. Real estate prices were high. Wages were high. People could afford to buy things. People could afford to do things. But when we read the prophets, and we don't have to read between the lines to see this, we just read in the, the black and white words. What we find is that at the same time that that trade and commerce flourished, they flourished at the expense of small people. They flourished at the expense of small landowners and peasants who, who lost what they had because of the greed of wealthy people in Israel and Judah. And so these people, once they lost their farms, they migrated to the city because why do we migrate to the city? Because that's where the jobs are. But they got to the city and there were no jobs for them. And Micah saw this and Isaiah saw this and they lashed out at what was happening in their world. And when they turned to the religious leaders and to the people of God who were religious people who had a relationship or at least claimed they had a relationship with God, what they found was apathy. Oh, those things just happen. Oh, there's nothing I can do about that. All of a sudden, they went into some, some sort of religious fatalism. Well, it's just fate. Things come in cycles. They come and go. These things will happen. And so Micah 
lashes out at the situation that was in their world. There was a lack of justice. There was a lack of showing mercy. There were people who went to worship, but their worship was empty. It didn't change their lives. I might ask us the same thing, you and, you and I. Does our time spent together on Sunday morning change your life? Does it impact how you live? Does it impact how you relate to other people? Does it impact how you view other people? Does it impact whether or not we show mercy to people? There's something very significant about Micah that uh, if we're not careful, we'll miss. And that is that, that the name Micah has great significance. It has a significant meaning. Here's the meaning of the, of the name Micah. Who is like God? Who is like God? Now, you can understand that, that statement, that, that question, a couple of different ways. Some people look at it, and they understand it to mean this, that there is no one who compares with God. There's no one in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the universe who compares with God. That's a true statement. There is no one who compares with God. But is that the correct understanding of what Micah is saying? I don't think it is. There's another way of understanding this question, and that is to take it literally. Is there anybody anywhere who is like God? Is there anybody who wants to be like Him? Is there anybody who wants to embrace God's character? Is there anybody who wants their thoughts to be God's thoughts and God's ways to be their ways? Is there anyone who even desires to be like God? And I think that's the way that we should understand Micah's name insofar as his message here in the book of Micah is concerned. Because Micah is, is kind of like Ezekiel, another prophet who came along about 160 years later. There's a place where Ezekiel says, he says, I was, I was looking throughout Israel. I was looking for someone who would take up the hedge and make up the gap. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I could find nobody. Micah was looking for somebody who was willing to lay down their opinions and lay down their, their popular uh, uh, ideas and, and ideologies and say, hey, I want to embrace God's thought. Now, in regard to this idea of who is like God, I, I want to say uh, three things to us that I think are important. The first thing that I think Micah wants to say to us is this, that God wants us to be like Him. God wants us to be like Him. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, well, Jimmy, that kind of goes without saying. So why, why did you bring that to our attention Actually, uh, while it may go without saying, it doesn't go without saying. Because sometimes we, we forget this fact that God does want us to be like Him, and yet it pervades all of Scripture. For instance, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, right in the opening chapter, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our Likeness. What does that mean? It means that God created human beings for the purpose of reflecting back to Him His character. Put another way, He wants us to be like Him. 
from the very opening chapter of the Bible, God wants us to be like Him. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. I'm holy and I want you to be like me, he says. I'm holy and I want you to be holy. He says, do not make yourselves unclean. Be holy because I'm holy. Chapter 11, verse 45, Leviticus, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy for I am holy. When Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says at the end of it, he told him, he says, he says, I am perfect. Therefore, I want you to be perfect. He wasn't talking about sinless perfection, although the Lord was sinlessly perfect. He knows that that you and I do not have the capacity within us to be sinlessly perfect, but it is to be our goal and we are to be whole which is also a meaning of the word perfect. But the bottom line meaning there for Jesus is, I want you to be like me. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote that beautiful, beautiful letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he he was God, he did not think his godness to be something that should be held on to and grasped, but he, he emptied himself and he left his throne in heaven and he came here to be with us, to die with us. He even took upon himself the death of a cross. That's the way God is. That's the character of God. Let this mind be in you. It was the way of humility. God wants us to be like him. And so I think it is uh, advantageous for us, all of us, uh, quite often to stop and say, okay, am I reflecting the character of God? As God looks at me, does he find that I am like him? Does he find that I am uh, helping the people he would help? Does he find that I uh, hold the beliefs that he also holds? Does Would he find, as he looks at me, a mirror image of himself, or would he? God wants us to be like him. The second thing Micah is saying to us is that our tendency, though, is to be the opposite of God. That's our tendency, to be the opposite of God. I I wish sometimes that Jesus would come back Again, uh, not, not just his second coming, although I'm looking forward to that, but there are times when I wish that he would just come back and just kind of walk around with us, go eat lunch with us, uh, sit down and, and watch the television with us. There are times when, when I wish he would just come and just talk with us, and, and I'd love to contrast what popular Christians or what Christians popularly believe and the things to which we hold and just see if they would jive with Jesus. I'll tell you what I think. You know, I read that verse in Genesis where it says, where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'll tell you what we have done. We've turned that baby around. And what we've said is, let us make God in our image. Let us make God to agree with us. Let us us pick and choose our little uh, uh, sound bites and let us make God to agree with us. We've made God in our own image. We even make out like what we deem is important. 
God deems as important. Micah chapter 3. I didn't read this to you, but Micah chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat for the pan. Chapter 2, verse 11, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for you, Micah said. Wow. Our tendency is to be the opposite of God. And part of that includes empty religion. We participate in empty religion, and we expect God to bless that empty religion. What is empty religion? Well, first of all, it looks good. It looks really good. It sings the songs. It, 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 it participates in the hymns. It'll pray a recited prayer. It listens intently to at least 35 to 40 percent of the sermon because everybody knows that nobody is godly enough to listen to the whole thing listen to what isaiah said now remember isaiah was a friend of micah's isaiah in chapter 1 verse 13 stop bringing meaningless offerings your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your evil worship assemblies. Now that was Isaiah chapter 1. That's not a good way to start off your time with the church. I mean, I can imagine that. September 2000. I want to thank you all for calling me as pastor. First of all, God is sick of you. Wouldn't that just bless you? Yeah, yeah, you'd have another pastor by now too, yeah. Our tendency is to be the opposite of God, but God wants us to be like Him. And I think we have to recognize, ladies and gentlemen, you see, it's hard for me to recognize how diametrically opposite I am from God. I want to think that I'm like God. We want to think we're like God. But really, our tendency, our temptations, our leanings are always against God. And we have to fight that. Now, part of the problem, I think, is that we have made, uh, we have made God uh, too hard to live with. We've tried to make Him a God of rules and regulations and I think that we have tried to make him into a bounty hunter God who is, is just waiting. Now, let's see. Let me see if I can find her saying something that's not right. Hold on. Wait a minute. Ha, 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 ha. There it is right there. That's, our, that's the picture sometimes that we have of God. But the third thing that I think uh, Micah is saying to us, and he saves this for near, near the last of his book, is, is this, that, that God's requirements for his people, they're not hard. They're very, very simple. God is a simple God. And he tells us in chapter, chapter 6 what his requirements are. He says this, he says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? It's very simple. Here it is. First of all, do justice. There are about 1,180 
nine or some odd chapters in the Bible, 250 of them are the Old Testament prophets. And the majority of those have to do with God's people doing justice. Do justice. Love mercy. Most of you probably already know this by now. And so so let me just say this by way of reminding. The people who are merciful in your life will be the ones who are the biggest blessing to you. Those who really know how to be merciful. Oh, sure, they see whenever you do stupid stuff. They, 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 they look at you and they can see the things that, that you may do they don't agree with, but they love you anyway and they encourage you anyway and they support you anyway. And, and, and it's not that they're naive. It's not that they're trying to be gullible. And it's not that they never ever point out those inadequacies in us. In fact, the people that love us the most will lovingly expose our inadequacies, but they always, always, always do it out of a, an attitude of mercy. We read these prophets, and they were hard. Man, some of them were really, really hard. But if you look hard enough, you will also see that for every hard thing a prophet said, they sprinkled it with the mercy of God. Do justice, but love mercy. And then finally he said, and walk humbly with your God. Now, look at those three things, ladies and gentlemen. Do justice, love mercy, And walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. How many Christians do you see following those three things? Now, there are some. Many of you here, you do. I I watch you and you do. But how many people are really interested in justice? I'll tell you what we're more interested in than anything. Rights. What about justice? It seems sometimes that we Christians are more interested in revenge, giving them what they're due, than mercy. And boy, you, you, you wouldn't have to look far in a local church, family to find humility, but I'll tell you, among the folks who are vocal, among the Christian world, you're going to look a long place, you're going to look a long ways before you find humility. And yet... What does the Lord require of you, O man, O woman, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? John Ortberg is one of the the great preachers on the scene of the evangelical church. And he said this in one article, he said this, he says, Can you really be a biblical preacher? He's talking with preachers. Can you really be a biblical preacher and not address what the prophets have to say about justice, mercy, and humility? And of course, the answer is no. We have to preach what they say, even if you don't like it. The relationship between God and His people is a fragile one. I'm not talking about losing salvation here. That's not what I'm talking about. But the relationship between God and his people is a fragile one. And you know why it is? Because God has one way and we tend to go another way. And we tend to want to say our way is God's way when our way is nowhere close to God's way. 
Micah was a lot like Amos. He was for the little person. He stood up for the little person. And in chapter 5, when he goes to, to prophesy, 700 years before the fact, he goes to prophesy about the coming of the Messiah. Chapter 5, verse 2, one of the greatest messianic prophecies in all of the scriptures, he says this. He says, but you, Bethlehem, you hear that, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He didn't say it'd come out of Washington. He didn't say it'd come out of New York. He didn't say it'd come out of Nineveh or Cairo. He didn't say it'd come out of Babylon. Or he didn't say it'd come out of Tokyo or Shanghai or wherever. He said, out of Bethlehem, though you are small, I'm going to bring my Messiah out of you. Have you ever wondered why our expectations, would you have, was that what you would have expected, that the Messiah would have come out of Palmetto? Well, did you know that Bethlehem at the time of Jesus was smaller than Palmetto? Oh, Palmetto, though you are small among the clans of the earth, out of you. You see, that's not what we would expect. Have you ever wondered why our expectations so often don't jive with God's? Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you, Lord, with broken hearts. Broken because we know, Lord, that the best we have to offer sometimes falls short, often falls short. Broken because we, we want to make you in our image. And we're so intent on that that we fail to realize that you want to make us in your image. Father, change us. Change me. Awaken us. Lord, help us to hear the small voice of a small prophet in a small place like Morasheth. Lord, help us to hear what he has to say. And seek your face. You're speaking to us. I don't know, Lord, what we need to do. But Lord, you speak to each one of us. And Lord, you, you let us know what we individually need to do. Lord, help us to do it. There are people in this room who need to come and ask God, God, awaken me and change me. There are people in this room who've never invited Christ to be your Savior, and you need to come and invite Him to be your Savior. 
He'll give you eternal life. But then there are people who are saved, been saved a long time. And we need to say, God, awaken me and change me. What's God saying to you? God, awaken us in Christ's name. Amen.